In Barrack Heights and Waratah, Springfield, Kingston, Lochinvar, Australia tunes to Macca. Hi, Macca. Yeah? Hey. I'm good. Who's this? Cody. Where are you, Cody? In Coopy, Greenland. And what are you doing? Mustard. Is it hot out there? Yeah. We've had a cool change this week. How old are you, Cody? I'm 11. How's the mustering going? Yeah, pretty good. Two wild ones. Who are you mustering with? Pop and Dad and his friends. Well, I wish I was out there mustering with you. And you go to school in Quilby, do you, Cody? Yeah, St. Finbar's. St. Finbar's. But I'm going to Downlands next year, Toowoomba. If I get up to Toowoomba, I'll uh, I'll look you up. Yeah, okay. I'll come up to Downlands and say, can I speak to Cody? How about that? Yeah. Nice to talk to you, Cody. Yeah, okay. See you, mate. There's a thousand early morning callers in caravans on fishing trawlers and all connected to Macca on a Sunday morning. Yeah, Macca in the morning turns my week around. He picks me up when I feel down. Wait all week for Macca on a Sunday morning. Now Sunday's often market day. The van is packed, they're on the way. And while we're travelling, of course, we turn to Macca. We could be surfing the internet, but we think this is better yet. Because we surf Australia with Macca every Sunday morning. I wait all week for Macca on a Sunday morning. Me too. Good morning, welcome, wherever you are around Australia, all over the world. A little ep- it's going, We're going to use that episode of in this next half hour of uh, Spies Like Us, set in, well, much of it set in Hong Kong. Um, back years ago when Hong Kong was Hong Kong. Now it's a satellite suburb of the greater country of China. Alison Danzi says, Ian, enjoy listening between during jobs on my shift. Heard earlier the discussion about horses. I've never been fortunate enough to ever have a horse of my own. Nor have I, Alison. My love of them started as a child where a family friend would ride her horse to my house. I would have been about four years old. She'd double me on the back. I would ride in reverse, place my hand on the horse's rump and absolutely fascinated by the movements of each step. Magnificent animals. They are, says Alison in Townsville. They are, Alison, and they're a lovely thing to pat a horse and look in their eyes. Their eyes are just... Their eyes just look into their soul, don't they? I've been listening, says Helmut, Helmut Ortner, Helmut, uh, for years, but you've just found out you like wombats. Well, I like all sorts of things, uh, Helmut, but um, yeah, I do like wombats. Here is one I made. They've made this from a little block of wood. Hope you like it. It's a hobby for me, and I mostly do Australian fauna, horses, windmills, and old sheds. And wombats, of course. Helmets in Madawi in New South Wales. It's just a little square of wood, about, oh, I don't know, six by four, six inches by four inches, and inlaid with the outline of copper of the outline of a wombat. It's lovely, and I've got it on my desk now, Helmet. Thank you very much. It's a lovely thing. Helmet's clever with woodcraft and things like that, obviously. And uh, I'll give you the number, 1300 And this from Janice, Janice Carlin, and she says, Ian, good morning. I've just been listening to the memories of the St George footy team. Uh, that was when I had uh, Jeff Armstrong in. 
couple of weeks ago, just before just before Christmas, wasn't it, Kel? Um, had Jeff in, and he talked. He's written a book called "The Spirit of the Red V," which is the St George Rugby League football team. Um, Janice says, "I grew up in Mortdale, and while I never had any interest in football, my mother was a tried and true follower." Billy Smith's mother lived across the road and they would go to games together. <laughs> uh, why I'm laughing is because Billy Smith's mother, I would suggest, was Scottish because Billy came out to Australia when he's a little little tacker. So I, I'd suggest that Mrs. Smith would have a Scottish accent anyway. <laughs> Billy Smith's mother lived across the road and they would go to games together with my mother. I went once and I never went again. I was 13 and so embarrassed at them, shouting for the whole game. Mrs. Smith had a Scottish accent. That's right. There you go. And they were both loud. I can laugh now, but at the time I just wanted to disappear. Mum was a supporter her whole life, and I don't think she missed a game until she moved here to Yamba to be close to me, but always watched the games on TV. She had a lot of red and white. I haven't been back to the St George area for a long time, but it holds fond memories for me. As everyone says, love your show, says Jan. <laughs> well, it would be embarrassed. Jan, I'd love to have met Mrs Smith because I love Billy Smith, my favourite player. Oh, what a what a player. What a fantastic player. No, more than a player, he just had spirit. That's why I loved him, more than, you know, more than his ability or anybody's ability. He just had spirit. Spirit of the V, that's what uh, Billy had. But his mother sounds like a real character, doesn't she? She's a Scottish accent. She'd be yelling and screaming. Fantastic. Um, 1300-700-222. G'day, this is Macca. Yeah, good morning, Macca. How are you going? Good, thank you. Oh, I just broke the number one rule of radio. I asked how are you going. (laughs) That's all right. Um, Yeah, this is Daniel from Morford Vale. Uh, Just wanted to... Uh, mainly call out and give a give a shout out to my dad David. Mm. How you going, Dad? Um, and just talk to you about the the climate down here in uh, the southern suburbs of Adelaide. Right, the climate um, in Morford Vale, southern suburbs uh, of Adelaide. Yeah, tell me. Oh look, I mean, I'm a gardener. I mow lawns and that sort of thing for elderly people around here, and um, it's been hot as hot as hot and dry until last weekend and then then we had about an inch of rain here and uh it's just been humid and horrible yeah same 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 where i live daniel i spoke to a a lawnmower um and by the way it's driving me nuts because where i live it's just been rain and humid and rain and rain and warm so you know we're being consumed by where it's well Sydney you're in the Sydney Sydney area, oh, but, okay. but it's just been consumed by lawns. And this bloke mowing lawns the other day said, "I said, how things?" He says, "We're overwhelmed. <laughs> We're overwhelmed." Up to our necks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's growing faster than we can cut it with the rain, but mm. it, it's welcome. I mean, down here it's pretty dry normally, so a bit of rain in summer's good, but um, doesn't doesn't make work much fun. I tell you. No, and, and as fast as you mow the lawns, um, this is the most I've ever mowed lawns in, in for a, since I can remember. So as fast as you mow them in three days, they're up, you know, they're up and... In, exactly that. In a week, they need days. mowing. Yep, yep. yep. From, from from the rain on the weekend, Wednesday, you could you could just see them. They were just up to your knees. So, Daniel, if you've, if you've got stamina, mate, it must be good for you because you must be in demand, I suppose, if you're a lawnmower. You know, the people are crying I'll, out. <clears throat> yeah, go on. 
I mean, I, I work for a big mob. I work year round, regardless whether it's dust bowls or lawns. But um, I I do it for elderly people, you know, contracts that way. So I, I really enjoy just because ninety nine percent of them can't do anything for themselves. So I, I just really enjoy the the look of appreciation on their face at the end of a job, you know, because they're they're just ecstatic that you've come and 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 got their garden looking good. There's something therapeutic. It's a bit like weeding. The lady rang me up about weeding. She said, it's just good for me. She said, I go outside and I kill some onion weed and I feel better. And uh-huh. it's the same Same with mowing a lawn. There's something about it. It's all raggedy-taggedy. Then you hit it with the edger and the, and, uh, and, oh, the, yeah. and the mower. Yeah. Not the leaf blower. I don't have a leaf blower. I still have a broom. I still have a broom, Daniel. Oh, um, do yourself a favour, Ian. No. Get one. They're great. Oh, no. They just blow it over to the people over the other side of the road. I mean, it's just, oh, I can't stand it. But anyway, um, but there's something therapeutic. When you finish the lawn, you think, oh, good, that's good for a couple of days. Yeah, you stand back and you look at that straight edge. Yeah, it's great. And you say, yeah, that'll be good for a couple of days. <laughs> well, it just depends on the rain. But yeah. I mean, we. I'll tell you one, the lawns have been tough, but the weeding's actually been great because I can actually pull the bloody things up. Exactly, exactly. That's what happens. Yeah. That's what happens. All right, Dan, yeah. um, I know oh, you're mate. overwhelmed, but um, keep up the good work, mate. Nah. Keeping South uh, Adelaide um, spick and span, neat and treat. That's it, mate. All right, been loving the show for about 28 years and play the birds a bit. All right, it will but, do. Half past eight, stick right, around. Oh, you, you leave at half past eight in South Australia, but you can listen online, mate. All right, will do. All right, mate. Beautiful. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Ian. See you, mate. Bye. Bye. Uh, g'day, this is Macca. Hi, Macca. My name is Kerry, and I've got a small beekeeping business in Renmark, which is in South Australia's Riverland. And I'm ringing to let you know that I'm moving some beehives this morning down to Wakery. They're about to pollinate some pumpkins. I pollinate pumpkins. Oh, why? So you you have bee will travel. Is that you in demand? Are you, Kes? Well, I've got twenty hives, and in in the Riverland, we're a pretty strong growing area. Um, mainly almonds here, so so winter time's pretty busy for, for beehives. Uh, there's a few pumpkin growers that like to have some beehives um, uh, as well to pollinate their pumpkins. Well, you know, and Kerry, how long have you had bees for? Is this your gig, is it? So I'm in. I'm in my sixth season of beekeeping, and um, I'm just lo- I'm loving it. It's it's so good. I do do a few different things, like I mentor um, hobby beekeepers. I sell honey, of course, and honeycomb. I um, sell bees, so people buy bees from me when they when they buy. Um, lots of people are getting into flow hives, so I'm selling some bees to people starting up flow hives. Um, yeah, do a few different things, and um, yeah, you've been keeping me company this morning because we have to get up before the sun to move bees. I suppose you do and that's um, uh, so what time do you get up? I got up at 4.30 this morning Yeah. to um, yeah to get there but we've had some really hot weather too and the bees don't like the hot weather and they come out the front when it's hot so yeah when I got to my hive they're all sitting out the front so I had to light my smoker this morning and, and shoo them all back in and shut the door and and then get them on the trailer. I'm just on my own. I've got a little flat trailer and a sack truck, and and off I go. Well, aren't you a good worker, Kerry? That's uh, so. How long will they uh, be before you have to move them again? 
So they'll be on this property for a month. All oh, right. And then this actually, this grower has another property um, that will start flowering at the end of the month. So then I'll move it, move them again, and they'll be there for another month. Uh, where would we be without the bees, Kez? Um, no, pump- I know. no pumpkins, no canola, no nothing. No almonds, no apples, cherries. Yep, yep. you know. So it. many things rely on bees. And when the, and the bees rely on you, Kerry. So keep up the good work. Thanks, Macca. Have nice, a good day. Nice to talk to you. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, I just see it's come up on my screen on the line is a long lost friend, Kieran Kelly. Good morning, Kieran. Oh, thank you, Ian. I'm glad you defined me as a long lost friend. At least you're defining me as a friend. Yeah, well, I haven't. We haven't heard from you for ages, Kieran. Tell us what. Where are you? Should dare I ask? Uh, uh, well, I'm in the eastern side of the Rockies in Utah, in the Rocky Mountains, uh, uh, visiting my family and working on a particular project I've, I've had going for a couple of years now. And uh, I'm in the middle of the American winter. It's not nearly as uh, sublime as where you are, that's for sure. No, I just uh, well, I just read a, an email from one of our correspondents who's in Maine uh, and uh, telling us about this... Uh, Mother of all, is it mother of all or father of all blizzards uh, that they've got there? Um, temperatures of minus twenty, minus twenty-five. So, uh, yeah, you're getting because Utah can be cold too, can't it? Yeah, it can. It hasn't been that cold this week. The last couple of weeks since I've been here, it's got down to about uh, minus fifteen, touch minus twenty. But the thing they're having here is one of the worst droughts I've ever seen. We we learn to live in Australia with the idea of drought. Um, because it's a periodic manifestation of living in Australia, really. But you don't expect to see it when you come to a country like the United States. And they have a lot of up elevation, you know, high elevation lakes and snow-fed lakes. And in Utah, for example, it never rains. They depend on uh, precipitation from snow during the winter to refill all the lakes. And I've, the lakes around here are two-thirds empty, including a big lake called the Jordan Ells here, mm. which, if it doesn't, if they don't get a decent winter here shortly, you'll be able to walk across the bottom of it, and it supplies a lot of the townships around with water. Wow. And uh, January, I've been here for a month now, and it hasn't snowed once. Uh, I've never been... I've been skiing for 40 years, and I've been in the mountains for that long. I've never been in the mountains in winter, in the northern winter, and not seen it snow. It's like the equivalent had been not seeing rain in Australia for a year. So, so they've got a chronic shortage of water problem here. So I was saying my correspondent uh, in Maine, how far, and they've got huge amounts of snow. I think they're getting two feet of snow this, uh, you know, next couple of days. Yeah, and they've had a lot of rain. They've had almost historic levels of rain. So but where I am would be, I, I would be somewhere, if we imposed Australia on top of the United States, I would be somewhere on the border of Western Australia and South Australia and the Northern Territory, somewhere like that west of Alice Springs. And Maine would be Brisbane. Yeah, wow. That's the distance. So people, the newspapers are full of these horrific storms and drenching rains and floods and everything in the east. And here the papers just talk about what is the long-term sustainability of some of these mountain towns and places like Palm Springs and Las Vegas that use a lot, a lot of water. And the Hoover Dam, which um, I took party of Australians on a few years ago for a long swim um, 
in the Grand Canyon, it's virtually dry. It'd be almost the equivalent of Warragamba Dam. No, don't say it. Completely bone dry. Oh, I know. I know we've gone close a few times, uh. but for the the idea of Lake Mead to just dry up altogether, uh, it's really shocking to a lot of Americans. But they've overused the water here. They've plundered the resources. Uh, Over allocated. There's 36 golf courses or something in Las exactly, Vegas. Yeah. The, the, this way of life can't be sustained. No, well, that's the same. And there's more, many more people now. That's the whole problem with all, you know, all the problems about climate is there's too many people using too many resources. You know, they whinge about, oh, this, the climate's changed. There's so many millions, millions and millions of people who want to be um, cooled and heated and watered and all those sort of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, any normal climate sort of can't keep up with it. Kieran, you're almost, an, I, I dare to say that, don't like to say this because you're a great Australian and you're very Australian and you love your country, but you're almost an American. You're always, you've, you've been there nearly as much as you've been in Australia, haven't you? Well, yes, uh, I've been to America. I first visited in 1979 when Jimmy Carter was in office and he had all the hostages in Tehran and trying to deal with that. Mm. And I've been to America virtually every year ever since. And, uh, you know, I'm continually fascinated by it, as I have been, uh, ever since I came here, by its similarities to Australia. You know, in some respects, in various parts of this country, you wouldn't know you're not in Australia. Uh, And the people fascinate me. You know, they're like us. They're meritorious society. They believe in democracy and the rule of law and, and, and so on. They've got courts that work. They speak English. But they're fundamentally different. And the project I'm working on at the moment I would, um, is to try and encapsulate these differences. I'm writing a book called uh, Not Really Like Us, uh, An American's Guide to Australia and Australians. And what's brought me over here this time is doing a series of interviews to try and underpin this book and try and understand the differences between Australians and Americans because I understand Australians pretty well, I think. As you do, you have a lot of interaction with all sorts of different Australians from your radio program. And I'm just trying to understand what makes us different from Americans. Whereabouts in Utah are you, uh, Kieran? A town called Park City. Park City. um, Which is a mountain town. Um, They've just finished, this is the home of the Sundance Film Festival, which a lot of Australians would know about because a lot of Australians actually come over to it and it uh, showcases a lot of films and it's probably the thing that um, Park City is best known for, um, other than being the place where the majority of the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics were held. So, Kieran, your book's uh, called... Nice little town. Yeah, I'll bet. Uh, your book's going to be called, what, Not Like Us? Did you say Not Like Us or Different From Us? Or? Yeah, Not Really Like Us. Not Really Like not Us. Not Really Like Us, with the, with the emphasis on really in italics. And I'm trying to identify, I suppose, the last chapter of the book is trying to identify, is America, does America feel obligated enough to Australia to come to our aid if something goes wrong? So it's based on the premise that England walked away from us in, uh, you know, after the fall of Singapore and left us sort of dangling. So we jumped on the American coattails after the Battle of the Coral Sea and we've relied on them strategically and politically for a long period of time. And as a musician, you'd know we've absorbed a lot of their culture, their music, mm. Um, I visited the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, a couple of years ago and here, and I start to realise how much American music influenced me, American films, American literature when I was going to high school. 
So we've absorbed a lot of American culture, but does that mean America would feel enough affinity with us to come and help us if we get into trouble with a place like China? And I've interviewed a lot of Americans about this and what their opinions about Australia and Australians are. Some of them are very, very well informed, particularly ones that have lived there and worked there and then come back to live in America or, or businessmen that have been there. Um, and I'm just trying to you know, answer that fundamental question. Are we alike enough in America so that America would consider an attack on Australia or anything interfering with Australia as an attack on them? And it's just a it's a question I've been curious about for 40 years because I've never managed to find anyone over here who knows what the ANZUS Treaty is, not once. Um, <laughs> you mean you, so, you mean amongst ordinary, everyday Americans, not, you know, because you know, yeah, diplomats yeah. and stuff would know about yeah. it, but yeah. yeah. No, 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 but that, I'm talking about, I like talking to ordinary people, you know, I yeah. like talking to the men in the street, the, yeah. the girl in the supermarket, the, you know, yeah. the, the lady from... Saginaw, Michigan, you know, is <laughs> it will be those ordinary people that determine America's response to Australia. And some people are very, very familiar with Australia because they've been there, but the vast majority of Americans have have heard of Australia. They can't know it's in the South Pacific somewhere, but they can't understand why it's important to America. That's what I want to write a book about, right. why it is important to America. Kieran, tell me this. Right. Um, you're in America and... And he, you, you've been away for a while, and you, you, but you know Australia. I was talking to a, a, a young lady here who works at the ABC, uh, Liz, and she's just come back from England. And she was English at one stage, and she, went, uh, she came to live and work in Australia, and she's got a family here. But she went back recently for the first time for years to see her family, and, and then she came back, and I said to her the other day, how's it going? How was, uh, how was it? She said, it was really weird being back here in Australia. She said, because... Over in England, in London, nobody cares about you know COVID and whatever. Everybody's getting on with life, but here in Australia, she said it's almost you know, it's quite a weird feeling. Now, I and I suspect that America's much from my reading, uh, cursory reading, that the same sort of things happening in America. We've got uh, the latest news here, of course, this morning is there's another COVID variant. These things take you know their lead stories here. It's COVID, 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 rapid antigens tests. It's that's all we get. What's the deal over there where you are? Well, it's changed enormously in the last 12 months. I was here in January last year finishing off a documentary. And when I came back this year, uh, it, you would hardly know that COVID exists. All the restrictions have been lifted. Um, uh, the Omicron cases uh, uh, ramping, you know, have ramped up the same as they are in Australia, but they're seeing the same manifestations of uh, uh, very low fatalities in ICUs and not huge amounts of pressure on the healthcare system. Uh, there are pockets of it, but I, the Summit County, which is which covers this area in the Eastern Rockies where I am, has the fifth worst cases of COVID incidents in the entire United States. The fifth worst, and you wouldn't know going to the supermarkets and walking around the street that there is even COVID. I think Americans uh, over the last twelve months since I've been here have made a collective decision, we're going to get on with it. As one American described it to me, and he was talking about Australia and the different responses um, of Americans, he, he made the comment that the squeeze isn't worth the juice. And he was referring to Australia that we've squeezed 
and we've got the juice, but the sque- we squeezed so hard that it wasn't worth the juice we got out of the lemon sort of thing. Uh-huh. And they just would rather deal with it when they get it and and, and try and live their lives. Uh, the, 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 I think they feel that the worst has passed. And Americans are much more suspicious about direction, direction coming oh, from yeah. government. And they're not as collegiate. They're not as collegiate about community responsibility. They'd rather take individual responsibility and live their lives as they see fit. Where we're more community-minded, we trust government a lot more. I think we trust science a lot more in general. I mean, there are outliers. There's no doubt about that. But we're a more collegiate society in Australia, probably because we're smaller. I mean, this country's got, what, 350 million people and yep. we've got 25. There are, cities, there are cities in America that are as big as our entire country. Yep. So I think it's easier to organise Australians, particularly, I'd be very sad if we ever lost our trust in government the way they have here, because it's a fundamental issue in democracy. If you're going to elect people to parliament or you're going to elect them to Congress, as they do here, you better trust them. Yeah, exactly. Kieran, when you come back to Australia, when's that? Uh, I'm here for another month doing research and interviews and uh, looking after grandchildren as well when I can. So I'll be back at the end of February, early March. Will you come in here and talk to... uh, I think I'll remember what you look like, but um, it'll be be nice to see you, Kieran. (laughs) 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 Well, it's lovely talking to you, Ian, and I'm glad I ended up in the category of one of your friends, even though I am Anderson. (laughs) Good on you, mate. Take care. Okay. You take care, Ian. Bye now. Bye. This is the All Over News. It's our news. It's the All Over News and news from all over. This from the Kiwi Scribe. He says, as a modest, humble Kiwi, I hate dominating your program with tidbits of information, but try as I might to give it a rest, there seems to be something significant that triggers a New Zealand perspective all the time. Today, you had a woman cheerfully ringing up about a scenic flight over Antarctica. It somewhat sent a shudder into the body, as I recall the tragedy of Air New Zealand's Flight 901 over Mount Erebus on November the 29th, 1979. Jeez, a long time ago, isn't it? I remember that. The captain of the plane, Jim Collins, had daughters at St Helier's School in Auckland, where I once taught. He had only the day before assisted in a school regatta held down at St Helier's Bay. The children had constructed various types of flotation craft and had to sail them around various points in the bay. The idea was conceived by a teacher by the name of Roger Morris, who went on to be an acclaimed maritime artist, including the historical painting of the hospital ship Her Majesty's New Zealand hospital ship Mahano, which we've talked about on the program before. In his first of many books, Roger Morris dedicated the book Sail Change, Tall Ships in New Zealand Waters, to Captain Jim Collins on Flight 901. A famous case eventuated where Captain Collins was cleared of any blame for the loss of 257 lives, thanks in part due to his wife Maria Collins, a lovely and kind parent. If anything positive could derive from this disaster, it would be for the fact that Peter Mulgrew, the flight's expedition expert and leader who died in the crash, his wife would eventually marry Sir Edmund Hillary, who also had lost his first wife and daughter in another plane crash in Nepal. Peter Mulgrew, a radio operator in the Royal New Zealand Navy at the time in 1957, 
had accompanied Sir Edward Hillary when they made the first transantarctic expedition to the South Pole using tractors with the British-led Sir Vivian Fuchs team. He would later lose his legs and tips of his fingers in another Hillary expedition from Frostbite. Thank you, Kiwi Scribe, and don't we remember Mount Erebus. A note from Peter Nugent, who's with the Harness Racing of New South Wales Standard Bread Rehoming Company. He says, Ian, I'm writing to advise you that uh, we'll have horses straight off the track at the Australian Camp Draft Challenge and Sale next week at ALEC, which is the Australian Equine and Livestock Event Centre. That's in Tamworth. You must have seen it as you drive past. Six harness horses straight off the track were given to some of Australia's top camp draft riders to train for the last two months. They were trained to ride under saddle and work with cattle. Next Tuesday at 4pm in the main arena, each horse will be asked to do freestyle activities to showcase their temperament and skill. On Wednesday, they will all tackle an obstacle course and finally on Thursday, they'll compete in a camp draft. These horses will then be auctioned and the funds raised will go back to rehoming more standard bred horses in New South Wales. I have no doubt, says Peter, our standard bred will prove to be absolutely suitable to work on the farm and provide these great animals a wonderful life after racing. And he's on the line. Peter Nugent, good morning. Good morning, Macca. How's it all going? Everybody's doing it, aren't they? The greyhounds have been doing it. I think the thoroughbreds have been doing it. I've I've seen Chautauqua pottering around in the doing his going through his calisthenics. So everybody's doing it, aren't they? All all the breeds are doing it. We certainly are. Have to have uh, some social justice, and we really do need to look after these horses. They provide a great deal of entertainment in their racing life, and I think we do have a responsibility to make sure that um, they have a suitable and lovely life after that. I was just thinking, you know, when I grew up in the suburbs, there were, every street would have a couple of spare paddocks and somebody would invariably have a horse in there and or there was a drive-in theatre and all around the drive-in there was a big paddock and people would have their horses in. No such luck these days, is there? No, the face of harness racing in particular. And I would imagine, Macker, you being in Sydney, that around Penrith and Bankstown and places like that, that was a very common sight, especially when uh, you had blocks of dirt that were free, pretty close to racing tracks. But I mean, um, harness racing is now a little bit more specialised in um, Edmund Angle, Penrith and Bankstown. And is this happening, the rehoming of horses, is this happening around Australia? Certainly. Um, I know of three states. Queensland are, are just in the process of developing their rehoming product. Um, Hero is a very, very ongoing process in Victoria with harness racing down there. And then, of course, we've got the New South Wales one. I'm not quite sure what's happening in the West with um, harness racing out there, but I'm sure that um, they also would have some harness racing uh, rehoming processing in place. I saw Shitaka and he seemed to be enjoying himself. He was... Uh going through his paces and, and having another life after racing, which I think is... because horses like that. I, I mean, I'm sure they like to stand around in a paddock, but I'm sure they also like to be asked to do something. Like a, like a working dog, they're, they're happiest when they're doing something, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. And some of these horses that we've taken off the track have been you know, put on uh, YouTube by uh, Campbell's Comment, which is a, an extension of the Nutrient Company. But what's happened is that I know for a fact that some of the camp draft riders that we gave the horses to, within one day, they had their children riding these horses and um, preparing them for the camp draft and be able to do all the obstacle courses. And as you know, harness racing horses, you know, they have their legs lifted every day. They've put the hobbles on. They're behind joggers. They're pretty much bomb-proof, but they're uh, a beautiful animal. 
I'm just glad that the nutrient company have seen it fit to invite Harness Racing New South Wales Standard Bread Rehoming Company to be part of this whole process. I think that we will prove, as I said in my note to you, that these horses are really suitable for um, work on a farm. I'm sure they are. Peter Nugent, thank you and good luck. Good on you. Many thanks again, Mackie. From Greg Campbell, the Mayor of Cloncurry in Queensland, he wants to tell everybody about the Cloncurry Prize, one of Australia's richest poetry competitions with a cash prize of $10,000, going to the poet who best captures the spirit of the outback. Greg Campbell hopes the competition will draw attention to the outback, promoting its beauty and lifestyle, and he says the prize was created to remind people of the wonderful country we live in and to ignite a sense of national pride. He says we've received a number of inquiries over the last couple of days, so we have made the decision to extend the closing date of the competition to the 14th of February, which is a couple of weeks away. It's called the Cloncurry Prize, the Spirit of the Outback Poetry Competition. $10,000, wow. For more info, contact Cloncurry Shire Council or go to cloncurryprize at cloncurry.queensland.gov.au. From Rayleigh Winton at Wellcamp, that's in Queensland, says, I'm sitting with my coffee listening to you talking about your absent frogs, which I did last week. I can imagine how you feel, as I have a lot of weather forecasters, that's what uh, they call their frogs, one under the back door, another lives on the sliding screen door, so we have to open it gently to give him time to adjust his position. We're very excited to see this skink family is alive and well. They've got pictures. We had a fox in the garden a few weeks ago, and he ate my favourite enormous skink from the rosebed log, so I was worried that he'd cleaned them all up. Totally endorse the comments of the lady who said she appreciates the all-over news for the interesting stories about what people do. The semen story was so interesting and enlightening. I would love to hear more individual stories of the unfortunate seamen who've been unable to leave their ships through COVID. Unfortunately, Rayleigh, you can't get on the ships to talk to them, and many of them don't have English as a first language, of course. Keep the stories coming. So many incredible and challenging situations that we may never hear about if you don't hear them, says Rayleigh. Rayleigh Winton from Wellcamp. And this from Irene Dudley. Happy 2022 to everybody. Welcome back. I was driving south from Gladstone to Maroochydore just before Christmas through Waluga, as I always do a toilet stop there. I watched a lady with four children pull up next to me and take two of the four children into the toilets. We exchanged hellos. When we were both about to get back into our car, she asked if I was going north or south, and I asked her the same. She said, Chinchilla. Ah, my hometown, I think I know you. We took our sunglasses off, and wow, we were neighbours on farms at a place called Pelican from birth to seven years old, then attended primary school together. I still remembered her mother making me eat fried tomatoes with eggs for breakfast at age five, and I tried to say, I can't, and I threw up down their backs there. <laughs> <laughs> and I threw up down their back stairs. We chatted for ages and could have done a lot more. She's the same age as me, and those four grandchildren of hers have been in her full-time care for five years, aged five, seven, nine, and 12, because of drugs and alcohol with the parents. I couldn't help but say how good she looked, and she said that when she knew she had to do it, she just took it on, and it was a whole new life. And when the youngest turns 18, she will turn 80, so she needs to be well. A woman of great stamina and integrity and love. To be commended, and I'm sure there's many others the same out there. 
You mentioned Waluga this morning and it reminded me about a small world, an incredible timing meet-up. And the place has suffered severe flooding again a few weeks after this was written. Thanks for your show, says Irene Dudley from Gladstone. A couple of things I need to tell you uh, that are happening this morning. Because women's cricket is on, um, the Northern Territory lift at 7.30. Queensland listeners will leave at 8. South Australians at 8.30. And uh, the rest will leave at 9. But we are online, so you can still be part of the program. Just listen online. Go to your phone or your smartphone or whatever, or your computer. You can listen, turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, and you can ring us and... uh, Life goes on, so wherever you are, um, and uh, we've got a lovely episode of uh, Spies after, which I'm playing after the news at eight o'clock, which is about the Chinese New Year, which is, uh, and it's interesting, isn't it, to think about because that was set in Hong Kong, and to think of the change in Hong Kong that's happened over the last, well, since the the British finished in when did they finish? Kel? No, was it 1999? I think it was, wasn't it? Something like that. Um, been a long time, and the change in Hong Kong is just astronomical. Uh, Rob Pollock at Trousers Point. Good morning, Rob. Uh, good morning, Maka. What are you What are you up to? Where's Trousers Point for the rest of uh, Australia? Uh, Trousers Point uh, is on the uh, southwest corner of Flinders Island, and uh, I'm a, attached to a rowing group uh, that's rowing across Bass Strait. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's pretty. D- what in just what? What are you rowing in? Uh, we're rowing in a surfboat. Um, we've just, got two crews of five, four rowers and a sweep. You uh, mean just of us. just a normal old surfboat? Yeah, mate. On just Bass, a normal on, old surfboat on Bass Strait. Made surfboat on Bass Strait. On Bass Strait. My God. Yeah, <laughs> that could be interesting. It has been, Macca. It's been very interesting. Uh, Bass Strait is uh, exactly uh, what people think it is. It's uh, an enormous challenge. And uh, I'm with a a really special group of people. And, uh, yeah, we've got two legs today. We're just getting ready now for our second last leg. And we're heading down towards Clark Island, Macca. Uh And who's the special? Tell us about the special group, Rob. Yeah, look, uh, this special group of people are a bunch of uh, surf club uh, people uh, all over New South Wales and Queensland. Um, so myself, uh, I'm a sweep and I'm from uh, Maruya and Browley Surf Clubs. Um, I've got uh, Brendan Constable. Uh, he's a sweep uh, from Naruma Surf Club. Uh, I've got Rod Patmore. Um, he's attached to the Naruma Surf Club as well. Um, uh, we've got Travis uh, uh, he's uh, from Queensland. Um, we won't hold that against him. Um, but he used to belong to uh, North Cronulla Surf Club. Um, and then uh, we've got uh, Braden uh, Fleming. He used to, uh, well, he is belonging to uh, North Cronulla Surf Club. There you go. Um, and then we've got a few others from Wanda um, and one from Malura. So, Rob, quick, tell me, because we've only got a minute to go. Um, tell me, okay. so you're rowing from where to where, and where are you at the moment? You're at Flinders Island at the moment. Where are you rowing to? Okay, so I'm trying to make this quick. Uh, we've got a 20-mile trip to Clark Island. Yeah. Uh, we're rowing for a charity called Humour Foundation, mm-hmm. Clown Doctors. That's our major cause. Um, and if anybody wants to donate to this great charity, uh, Humour Foundation, you'll find us Bass Strait Rowers. Look us up on Facebook as Bass Strait Rowers. Um, 
yeah, we're, we're we're trying to create history here, Macca. Nobody's ever rode across Bass Strait, and Not um, a... we've uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and we're 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 getting there, mate. We hopefully should be there Monday. Usually, at, uh, you... little Muffle Road. <laughs> Usually when people. Tasmania. Usually when people ring, I say, I wish I was with you. Robert, I don't wish I was with you on Best Great, the bloody surfboat, mate. Uh, no, it's bloody fantastic. Uh, Wynn Hobson, our skipper, he's a bloody legend, and um, he's our, our tender that comes along with us. He's got the knowledge. Uh, we've just got the grunt and the willpower, mate. Good on you, Rob. Good luck, mate. Uh, it's uh, Best Great Rowers, the Humour Foundation, is that right? Yeah, Humor Foundation. If they go there, they'll find us on there and link. And please donate to a beautiful charity. Thank you. Good on you, Rob. Thanks, mate. Hi, Macca. This is Tracy from Alice Springs. Hi, Tracy. How are you going? Good. A bit soggy. Woken up today to um, yeah. quite a lot of rain. It just rained all day, all night. Um, we had another little shower just before. And uh, it's just been raining, raining, raining. We've got no groceries in the shops. There's a few trucks that made it through. Thank you, truckies. Good on you guys. Um, fantastic people who got some food through yesterday. Um, but, um, yeah, throughout the whole territory. I mean, if this happened in the eastern states, you'd be hearing it. Yes, exactly. Hearing it um, started, like, you know, very loud from the bloody ball pit. But, uh, yeah, there's there's <laughs> nothing. There's, you know, like five five supermarkets a girlfriend went to up in Darwin and uh, every shelf. But there's no fresh produce. It's just there's nothing here. So um, I don't know what this government's doing, but not a lot, obviously. So we're, we're well, at least we're all going to lose a bit of weight, I suppose. Trace, yeah, <laughs> people, many people probably know, but others don't because it's um, people are always amazed that, you know, Kieran Kelly rang this morning and said he's amazed that Americans don't know about ANZUS and they don't know and there's Australia. They did a survey the other day and Australians don't know about this, that and the other. But I don't know. They should know that the Stewart Highway's been crossed in a, cut in a couple of places, hasn't it? And uh, yeah, trucks can't yes. get through and, and that's why there's no yeah. groceries, I suppose. You don't get many in by plane, do you? I mean, planes don't do uh, that no. sort of stuff. Well, but I think they need to do something because it's just, um, you know, like this is going to go on with the more rain that we've had. Mm. Um, and, and also those trucks that were coming over from, um, instead of going coming up the um, south road, um, they've all been rerouted 3,000 kilometres to come through through Queensland. Mm. And, um, you know, the, through that area in the Barclay and, and uh, near Winton, I heard that there's um, been flooding there and road closures as well. I did hear that they, were, they may be trying to um, set up something so that they can cut through New South Wales with, um, with road trains, which they don't normally allow, but apparently some decisions been made. Uh, to, so hopefully that may give us um, some help. But, yeah, I mean, it's just what do you do in the meantime? I mean, you know, not everyone can afford to stock up no. and to have you know, um, stores and, and a, a lot of pensioners in that, you know, live um, day to day or week to week, you know, from their pensions and things. So, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to be terribly and, – and nappies and formulas and things like that. Um, you know, there's it's it's really, you know, can get quite dire. Yeah, and I don't know about the plenty uh, – that's one one way to get into um, uh, the Alice, isn't it? You come along, oh, yeah, through, through, along the plenty, yeah, but that's probably but – that's a pretty problematic road too. Oh, yeah, especially if you've had any sort of sniff of rain and yeah. um, and that's, um, that's no good. So uh, – um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, no, there's, it's just, um, it's, I mean, you can laugh, I, I suppose, you know, you, what else can you do? Um, Trace, tell me, that the government might do something. Oh, yeah. Trace, tell me your <laughs> Al- Alice story. 
Um, I've been here 32 years. Um, love the town. It's um, it's uh, um, I've been in tourism, but um, you know, due thanks COVID, that didn't <laughs> it hasn't worked terribly well the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, but um, but other than that, yeah, no, I just love. I I used to travel a lot with my work. I used to you know um, drive a lot um, and because I produce visitor guides and things for the region mm. and. Um, I um yeah I love driving into Alice Springs the 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 McDonald ranges are just stunning and you should Fabulous. see them now they're so so green they're beautiful absolutely beautiful so I mean look we're going to have a wonderful season this with with all the rain and all our water holes all topped up again um it's just going to be fantastic so yeah uh, and you uh, get once we get some groceries <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> once we get some food yeah that'll be good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that'll be good. Yeah, because you you can get stinko hot in in so in some ways I think it's uh, even though you get flooded, you know I think I'd prefer the rain than the uh, you know forty degree day after day after day in the Alice that you can get in summer. Uh, yeah, I mean, but it's you know like it's a short period of time. It's you know it's a month or two, and you know everything's air conditioned. Yeah. You know your house, your home, your work, and um you know and and a lot of backyards uh, you know like we've got big you know a lot of people have got big patio areas with fans and everything so you know it's to me i i prefer it to the um top end for the um this time of year oh, the yeah. humidity i that's what we've got at the moment is humidity i feel yeah. like i'm in darwin already and um it's just it's <laughs> terrible because hair's gone well curlier <laughs> and um but it's it's um normally it's a nice dry heat and um um it's you know more comfortable but uh yeah, it's it's only a short period of time, but then we get you know minus we can get minus in winter too. You know, it's it's a desert. It's an extreme place, and yeah. Um, but but I love it. It's I love it for that reason. I think it's just so, um, contrast. You know, uh, in what it does. Hope to meet you sometime, Tracy. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Good on you. Uh, good day. This is Maka. Good day, Maka. It's Damo. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Damo. Just calling in from uh, South Kempsey uh, near Yoroka, um, just on the border there, five acres. I think I last called you in uh, 2008 from Texas and we talked about roadkill. <laughs> it was uh, long, too long between drinks. Texas in uh, America or Texas in Queensland? In America. All right. No, yeah. no, Texas in, in the States. But, uh-huh. um, but uh, yeah, we, um, I just uh, finished 26 years in Army and uh, uh, retired now, body and the brain. Um, this is finally uh, pulled the pin, and um, now we've got a beautiful five-acre plot here at uh, South Kempsey. In fact, just uh, down from where Shorty Ranger um, lived. All so, right, uh, Shorty Ranger. You know, when you yep. work with um, Slim Dusty, of course. Yes, of course. Um, absolute beautiful uh, place here. And listening to the birds sitting on my veranda, uh, we've got a, a number of different birds: the butcher birds, the cookers, the wallabies are, are playing around on the paddock. So why and did you? Uh, why did wonderful. you? Why did you choose uh, Kempsey, South Kempsey? Where are you from? Originally? Oh, yeah. Oh, so originally on the Central Coast, but um, right. near Gosford and McMaster's Beach. But um, I've moved all over the place in Australia with uh, the Army. And as a kid, we used to come up to uh, Valor Park up near Nambucca Heads. And we had uh, my, my late uncle and auntie brought their family up here in Kempsey. And I just remember it as a beautiful, uh, beautiful town. Low key, you know, uh, the people are great. And uh, so close in the, in the Clay Valley, close to the beaches and, the rolling hills and easy to go up to Queensland yeah. if you want and straight down to Sydney. If you, uh, so uh, yeah. a beautiful place to, to retire to. We were talking about Kempsey last week with one of uh, our correspondents and um, and he said that since the uh, Highway 1's bypassed Kempsey, <coughs> it would struggle, certainly the, the main part of town. Um, 
it would struggle because there's a lot of business that used to come through the town, which mm. now just bypasses it. So, yeah, that wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be, you know, depends what you like, I suppose. But uh, I think the main business centre would have been affected by that. I think so. Um, and it's, uh, look, I think Kempsey's uh, under the radar and it's perfectly located uh, between, you know, it's Brisbane and, and Sydney. And it's a good stopover for uh, if anyone wants to, um, you know, just check out the Maclay for a, a day or two before they're travelling up to Queensland. I mean, tourist season, this course, uh, is quite busy. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the hotel industry and, um, and, the, uh, and tourism in the town itself, I mean, it's certainly changed since... Um, you know, since the road used to go straight through, you know, go up the Pacific, and you know, and, and you're kind of also almost forced to stop, particularly the uh, you know around Christmas traffic. But yeah, we've um we we've um yesterday was an amazing day. We went uh, out to Bellbrook and down Nullanla Road and looked at uh, Slim Dusty's home. Um, you know, very first home as a as a child, and right. uh, stopped off at Taylor's Arm Hotel, no, the pub with no beer, and and had a nice icy cold beer. <laughs> <laughs> yesterday afternoon <laughs> as you do um, as you do Damo yeah but, um, yeah we um, right. I think I might join the local radio station uh, Tank FM and do a bit of volunteering there and um, and, uh, and sounds... between driving around on the T20 Fergie <laughs> so Damo tell me and... yeah well that sounds like a good idea Damo tell me are you listening on channel 25 on the TV are you listening to the program can you um, we've got uh, we didn't get a lot uh, cricket on um, on Mid North Coast, but so we listen mainly on the um, on the app. So, All right, uh, yeah, there you go. We've got good connection here, and and uh, and uh, yeah, we don't want to flick over to the cricket. I want to listen to you. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. good on you, and uh, nice to talk to you, Damo. And uh, I'll see you in Kempsey. I'll, I love Kempsey in that area, it's, and you've got all that hinterland up above you. Oh, it's mate, stunning! It is beautiful. It's well, ad- you'd have to stop by for a couple, mate. You'd, uh, you'd no, be you're very welcome. No, take me down to the uh, Taylor's Arms. Um, we certainly will <laughs> after the after the cuppa. Okay, sounds good to me. No worries, thanks, Maka. Good thanks on you, Damo. Yeah. See you, mate. God bless you, mate. Bye. Bye. Uh, good day, Maka. It's Colin Dorber from the Lockyer Valley in Queensland. You may remember you brought your team up to Gatton and interviewed myself and some others, including the mayor then, Steve Jones, about the building of the cannery. Uh, I, I promised do. you at the time. You'd be the first to be told what happened. Mm. So I'd like to report into you and your listeners and say that firstly, after 10 and a half years, we raised enough money. We've acquired 54 hectares of land. We have a development application nearly finished for the Lockyer Valley Regional Council. We have the support of the Queensland State Government, at least nominally. Um, we have shareholders uh, and, and we're going to put a $80 million complex in place on this 54 hectares of land at a place called Withcott, just in the foothills of the Toowoomba Ranges, mm. just inside the Lockyer Valley. Uh, our first crop, which we'll be planting next month, is beetroot. Should come as no surprise. And uh, we expect the full build program to start in August this year. Um, it's been a very exciting time. The biggest development lately is that uh, four days ago, the Queensland Government, after 15 months of negotiation, approve the establishment of a cooperative. This now means that we can go out and keep our promise that the, the operation will be Australian owned, Australian grown, Australian produce, and the cooperative will control ultimately by the way of its majority shareholding in the main company, the growth of this business. It's got uh, three or four stages to go, but right now our starting point is that we'll be processing vegetables grown in the Lockyer Valley 
and uh, and it's a very exciting time and we had just support at the time. The only downside for us, you may remember Dick Smith came on air, pledged a million dollars and uh, we got a lot of matching donations that were on offer. Regretfully, Dick changed his mind. He thought Woolworths and Coles might want to take us down. In fact, they turned out to be our greatest friends. And uh, so we weren't allowed to take any money from the members of the public that wanted to support us back then. Uh, we're now a public limited, uh, uh, sorry, a non-listed public limited company, and we're full steam ahead. Well, I, I say you beauty, Colin, when I'm just sitting here listening and I can hear people around Australia cheering, but maybe you should get back in touch with Dick Smith and uh, maybe he, w- he would change his mind. I don't know. Uh, well, I'm hoping he might, but the good news is that many Australians have stood up and uh, uh, we've got 57 current investors that have put the majority of the startup funds on the table, but we're now going to go out. So it's $1,000 a year for one year and only one payment to be a member of the cooperative. And we're hoping initially that 20,000 Queenslanders will stand up and say, we want to own this project. We want an Australian project. We want no involvement from countries overseas. No offence is intended, but I think we've all learned a bit of lesson through COVID that we need our own domestic food processing facilities. It'll be the first cannery built in Queensland in over 60 years and the only processing facility available for the Queensland community. But look, I think, Colin, I think people all around Australia would want to contribute to that, not just uh, Queenslanders, because I think, um, you know, we're all Australians now, as uh, Banjo Patterson said once, but um, over over this last two years, I'm not sure that we've uh, been all Australians, if you know what I mean, but I think generally we're all Australians, and I think everybody would like to contribute to that. Colin, I think it's a great thing. Tell me this, are you going to have pineapple sooner or later? Can you do Uh that? Yes, stage two, we have a number of shareholders that are pineapple growers. We're absolutely determined to have a pineapple processing facility. We made that promise a long time ago. The reason we have to start in Queensland with the cooperative is that um, Queensland government has approved a national cooperative, but ASIC, the regulatory body, says that outside of Queensland, we have to spend quite a lot of money and write product disclosure statements for the rest of Australia before we can reach out to them. I'm determined that it'll be Australian-owned. Um, it's taken, as I say, nearly 11 years. I'm not giving up for the sake of a bureaucratic process. Look, I don't know, and I don't speak for anybody, but look, you should get in touch with uh, Mr Smith and um, and see what he says, because um, I'm, uh, from what you've said, Colin, everybody's just cheering, standing up, punching the air, mate. Um, I think it's a great, great idea. Thank you for that. And, uh, and the, the good news, because I couldn't walk through the streets to... Lately, Queensland for a while without people looking at me like I was a complete fruit loop is that we're actually physically underway. Uh, you know, 10 years is a long time and I'm pretty much the last man standing. Uh, but I do acknowledge two other people. One is a lady called Mari King who stood by my side as a director and supported me every step of the way. And the other is a fellow called Lester Underdown who is the designer of the most innovative, technologically advanced green, environmentally sound cannery food processing facility that you've ever seen. There you go. Uh, Colin, just tell me this. Uh, Steve Jones, if he was still alive, would would be cheering. What a lovely man was Steve and what a mover and a shaker. When, when, can you remember, when, when were we there in the Lockyer Valley? How long ago was that? I think it's about 2018, not long before Steve died. Yeah. Uh, we're going to name one of our buildings in memory of Steve. He and I were good friends. And in fact, 
the only uh, government grant of any kind we've ever received, he arranged a $30,000 grant to help us do our international feasibility study 10 years ago. Uh, he was a lovely man. He was much maligned unfairly shortly before he died. But I can tell you he had a heart of gold. He lived for the Lockyer Valley and we have never forgotten him. And I will never forget the way he would put his arm around me and I won't use his exact words, but he basically <laughs> say, do not give up and let's get it done. <laughs> Colin, it's great to talk to you. It's great to talk to you, mate. Uh, we had a lovely morning there that morning and I remember we went out with Steve that evening before the program. We went out down the pub and we had a we all had a meal down there and uh yeah, yes. it was it was uh, he was a lovely fella. I love him. But um Colin, keep up the yeah, good work I'll and I hope I hope people yeah. in Queenslanders, I'm sure they'll support you and and the rest of Australia was it's a great idea. We you know, maybe there's a new dawning in Australia that we can build and and make our own stuff and process it and all that. Wouldn't that be good? Well, it's one of the positive outcomes of COVID is that we've suddenly realised we're dependent in particular on China and New Zealand and Poland and Germany and England for products that we can grow here. And I, I must make the point, we can not only grow it and produce it, but we can do it at or better than any price of any product currently being brought into this country, uh, particularly beetroot. And, and my heart has been set on saving beetroot. And if you want a, a recipe for a good beetroot sandwich, I recommend white bread crust with a bit of butter, some peanut butter and beetroot. It's the most amazing sandwich I've ever had. <laughs> good on you, Colin. love it. Thank you. Good to talk. I'll invite you to the official opening. All right, with, with the beetroot sandwiches. Good on you, Colin. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.